Welcome to Diary of a Crowdfunded Film, proudly in collaboration with Brick Studios. I'm Jose Pusella. Join me as I take you on this audio journey with Heath Davis on the making of his new crowdfunded film, Christmas. Throughout September and perhaps October, and maybe even November 2021, I'll be interviewing creators from Oz and hopefully NZ, discussing their love of the arts and careers they're carving out from this love and anything in between. So welcome to the Diary of a Creative Series. As always, I'm your host, Jose Pucella, and in an attempt to show you my superior Google search skills, here are three events that I deemed interesting that took place throughout history on this day, September 7th. On this day in 2006, Satchel Baron Cohen's mockumentary, Borat, Cultural Learnings of America, for Make Benefit Glorious Nation of Kazakhstan, premiered at the Toronto Film Festival. Chinkui. On this day in 1976, U.S. courts find George Harrison guilty of subconsciously plagiarizing He's So Fine for his song, My Sweet Lord. And on this day in 1251 BC, it was believed that a solar eclipse might mark the birth of a legendary Heracles at Thebes of Greece. While the skies in the Southern Hemisphere bequeath us with a new moon, joining me this evening is a legendary Melbourneian of proud Greek heritage, and possibly mythical origins. If you missed the 2014 co-directorial feature debut titled Plague, you'll certainly know him as a two-time ARIA nominee for Best Music Video in 2020 for The Tones and I, You're So Effing Cool, and 2019 for the Herculean accomplishment of co-directing the inspired music clip for The Tones and I breakout song Dance Monkey, which since its initial release to YouTube on the 25th of June 2019, currently sits with over 1.6 billion views and 13 million likes. Without further ado, welcome and thank you so very much for joining me this evening, Nick Kozakis. Thank you very much for having me. Wow, what an intro. Like, uh, I feel kind of underprepared now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, it's all I need to do is make sure that you feel comfortable enough. So let's just, I'm going to get the ball <laughs> no, rolling good. by, I want to get people to visualize 1.6 billion of something. Um, so I sat there thinking for a bit and went, well, the population of Sydney has about 5.3 million. So imagine 298 Sydney cities is the equivalent of the views that you've achieved with um, the, yourself and Liam Kelly have achieved with Dance Monkey. And what before we wax lyrical, I just need to get some housekeeping out of the way, Nick. So if you enjoyed our last episode as much as Glenn Cochran of FakeShemp.net and the Good Movie Monday podcast enjoyed calling me an onanist, and the idea of raising Herbie the Lovebug from the ocean, then bank hard and write into your search engines, Diary of a Crowdfunded Film, where you can like us on Facebook or Twitter at Diary of a Crowd F1. And if you're in the mood, please subscribe and reshare the episodes so the momentum for this podcast and Heath Davis's upcoming fourth film, Christmas, continues to infinity and beyond Sydney's current lockdown. I actually wanted to, the first question I really wanted to ask you was, um, what was your gateway movie into the horror genre? So uh, the movies that inspired me, is that what you're asking? Yes. Um, yeah, so it was uh, when I was really little, actually, like I've got two older brothers, I'm an accident child. So it's like, there's a big, <laughs> uh, there's a big gap between me and my two older brothers and not by their fault of their own. I also was like sneaking around and shouldn't have been doing what I was doing, but they'd leave tapes around. So like I got to watch The Fly, uh, Alien was a big one. Um, that made me sick to my stomach. Uh, what else was there? Evil Dead really made me sick like especially right. at the end spoilers but uh, what am i spoiling it but it's like you know <laughs> watching people like melt away and collapse and all that kind of stuff really really terrified me and i think part of all of those movies kind of sat with me in the sense of like i couldn't let that be a reality i had to figure out how they were done and what happened and then i just became obsessed with cinema to the point where i was like i remember watching the first terminator because i wanted to hire terminator 2 um, every kid my age yes. wanted Terminator 2 and I accidentally got the Terminator and um, but I still loved it and I pretended that I was Carl Reese I was acting out scenarios where I thought I was Carl Reese in my backyard and all that kind of stuff and I just he was like one of the first people that I fell in love with and that's kind of like a a bit of like an unconventional slasher whilst it's a uh, an action film it's also a bit of a horror so I really I think that probably might have been the first one to really push me over the edge into wanting to do the creative side of things right and were the arts championed in your household? No, not really. I mean, not in the sense like they, they never resisted or pushed back on it. Like uh, yes. uh, my 
uh, one of my brothers is in IT. The other one has a management position. Um, you know, my dad was a carpet layer. He's retired now. Um, Mum worked in a takeaway shop, but then she finished up with that and then just became a full time, full time mum. And, uh, and I was a handful. So it just came out of nowhere, really. I think what really happened was, is when I was a little kid, I loved the Ninja Turtles. And um, one day I was quite sick and um, mum didn't wake me up for an episode. Like I had fallen asleep or I had a nap and I got so angry that I missed it that I'm like, I'll make my own episode. And I started drawing my own. And so from there, I kind of really pushed into the side of illustration and I loved drawing and designing. But I like when I graduated, I went into the pathway of becoming a graphic designer and illustrator. But I just, um, yes. I never had the love for it. Like, you know, like it, it just felt like work, you know, like, it, and it should have always just stayed a hobby. But film was something that I could do at like crazy hours of the night. And um, thankfully, I did have such supportive parents and such a supportive family that when I was, um, you know, kind of like a mature age student, I wanted to go back to study. And I had a supportive girlfriend at the time, Meg, who also helped out. And they were just like, um, uh, you know what, let's, uh, let's get you back in. So I went back to studying film and er- everyone has just been sort of like really kind of helpful along the way. So without them, there is no director Kazakis. And just to touch back on, you know, Ninja Turtles, I was a massive fan. Who was your favorite? Donatello. Without Donatello, they would have been in so much trouble. It's like he's got all the gadgets. He breaks in the stuff. He was the best one for me. I love it. Mine was Michelangelo and purely because he was such a goof. Yeah. And, you know, if I could be buried in a pizza box because I love pizza, <laughs> then that'd be that guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mike, Mikey was the first love and then I started to grow into Donatello. So plus he was the most fun to Of course, play. I never matured. Yeah, that it's a sign of maturity and that's you have that in spades (laughs) and i guess going on to leading or continuing with maturity because you said mature student you studied at swinburne university of tech in melbourne so the first degree was design and media graphic design and then i'm guessing this is where you mentioned you had the honors degree in film and television film cinema video studies that you completed in 2011 yeah yeah so it actually um i started off at chisholm and that's where I did my design stuff. And then I moved over at Swinburne and I did the TAFE course, which is an advanced diploma of film and television. And then that segued me right. into a pathway course for the honours degree for film and television. Is that where um, you met your co-director and the writer of Play while at Swinburne? Yeah. Or how did yeah. that come Yeah, so uh, it was quite funny. So uh, Costa and I shared a class uh, together and um, I had gotten up and I didn't do my job that I needed to do for a class presentation. So I kind of faked my way through it and, you know, like everyone just stayed silent. And then (laughs) this guy, he popped his hand up and he's like, Hey, I'm just going to, I want to ask you a question. And he totally called me out in front of everybody. And it was great. It was like a good back and forth. Immediately. uh, I knew that, you know, he was such a brilliant guy, like amazing writer, um, awesome dude as well. So like, you know, we kind of clicked uh, very, very well. And, um, you know, from there, when we finished, he called me up and I was doing a lot of music videos at that time. And I was doing a lot of commercial work and corporate stuff, which was kind of surprising that it was like during the uni path. And, um, yes. and he's just like, hey, I really want to do a feature film. You've got a camera, you know, you're doing a lot of stuff with crew. If I write something, should we go in it together? And it was a no-brainer. Like, uh, you know, I, I really loved his writing. I loved his directing as well. I learned so much from him just from Plague, even just from our uni stuff. Like, he directed a really amazing short. And um, from there, yeah, we, we, we went into Plague together. And that was, a, it was one of the best experiences. So was it during, I guess, maybe from 2012, 2014, because Plague was uh, released, had a cinematic release 2014. Was that when you and Costa were trying to get the feature off the ground? Probably in that two-year span, just after finishing at Swinburne? Yeah, so he was doing his own stuff on the side as well. And then obviously I was doing my, um, you know, video production. And then um, from the day he contacted me with his brother, Alexi, who's a producer as well. Hey, I want to do a feature film. Do you want to do a feature film? From that day to the point that we were in Cannes was a year and a half. Exactly. Wow. The script itself that Costa had written, did it take any different um, changes? You know, did you provide or was it collaborative in that respect? Or was it more a case of, look, we'll define our roles um, on set 
and one of us will do the visuals, the other will work with um, the actors. Yeah, uh, I think we knew that um, at that point in time, uh, I was really focusing on visuals and Costa had such a good relationship and understanding of actors that um, we knew that we were going to split it up that way. So I was going to do a lot of the blocking, a lot of the, uh, you know, uh, like I, I had shot listed and storyboarded the entire shoot. Um, so we, uh, every night I just kept adding to the uh, storyboards myself between myself and my storyboard artist Florence Gent, who's an incredible right. artist. Um, so we just kept updating it and just kind of uh, you know like we pretty much had a blueprint the the entire time. So like I'd feed that over to our cinematographer Tim Methrell, uh, who was also working with our camera operator Carl, who's my um, Carl Allison, who's my DP. Um, and just like one of my best friends as well, he, you know, he was just able to look over them. He's like, yeah, I know what you need. And then from that point on, as we just rolled right through the day. So like, it was kind of like already kind of implemented in everyone's head, what we needed to capture. And it just, it, it was such a fluid process. It, it, it was a really good team. And I guess that sounds like it then flowed through into the um, editing side of things. Yeah. Now, look, the reason I wanted to retouch on Plague is just for any listeners who weren't aware of the feature that not only screened in Cairns, like you mentioned, 2014, it was acquired for worldwide distribution 2015 by Screen Media and went on to top the horror charts on iTunes during its digital release. An amazing accomplishment for a self-financed feature for about 150000 And you can correct me if that's yeah, not Yeah, it's the- less. It was less than that. Right. Okay. Yeah. What I'm curious is how were you feeling at that point? I know we're looking, I'm asking you to go back almost six years. What was the feeling at that point? It was, um, it was completely surreal. We didn't have any idea where it was going to go. We thought the film would start off at like a $30,000 budget. And so quickly we learned that accommodation and food for, you know, because we had to shoot it out in, uh, uh, like near Mount Buller, we had to take everybody there. So it's like quickly you realize, oh, it's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> so then like all, all of a sudden the budget blows out a little bit. Like don't quote me on it, um, but uh, it may have been about 80000 from memory because then we also put in like a little bit of right. money into like, you know, screening it at um, the Astor Theatre, which we had filled out, which was a story of its own. But like we, um, yeah, it, it was about there. And all three of us contributed an equal part in that. Um, so that was myself, Alexi and Costa. Um, and then, uh, you know, and then we all just pulled our resources in. So it's like whatever we could get. It was almost like the Rodriguez method of like, hey, we've got a t- I've got a turtle, a guitar and a bus. Uh, Costa had connections yep. with people that had a shearing shed and he wrote to the strength of things that he had access to. And then I used my equipment and some crew people that I could um, bring in for free. And my um, fiance at the time is a prosthetics makeup artist, um, uh, Danielle Ruth, who's incredible. We're not, we're not together anymore, but like we're awesome friends, but she was able to help us with a lot of the prosthetic stuff. So that cut a lot of the cost. She won't do that now though. So she's like, she's a full <laughs> professional. So like, and she deserves, yeah. she deserves more than uh you know the discounts that she did uh give me on that film but um yeah she she was incredible for us a huge asset and the element that um i think is fundamental to any independent filmmaker um is passion yeah which would have been you know in bucket loads for you guys and anyone to get through a film made in australia so you know the question i've always been curious and i'm glad i have this opportunity to chat with you was what was the decision that steered you back to music videos rather than pursue a follow-up feature yeah it wasn't um it wasn't really by design it was uh i kind of expected okay so the feature film took us by surprise so it's like we wanted to do it to see if we could make something and then the idea was hey let's do this and then the next one we'll do something that'll get distributed and then we just kind of leapfrog that by like you know, not not by chance because Alexi worked really hard to get a sales point with that film, and he did such an incredible job that he got us, um, uh, you know, in touch with Screen Media, and then they were the ones that ended up picking it up and taking us to Cannes and all that kind of stuff. So it's all off his back, really. And then you know, everyone else that did such an incredible job on set. Um, but you know, it, I, after that, I didn't know what the process was. I was just like, oh, sweet, all right. Well, I guess now I'm just going to wait for some scripts to come. And they never came, you know, it was just like, um, so I, I went back into like, uh, you know, trying to build my company, which is visible. And, uh, I started developing that with, uh, my current, uh, you know, like business partner and almost like a brother, Tim Whiting, who we've been, uh, building that 
from that point since. So it was like, it was just a really good, you know, opportunity to kind of have like that safety net. And the idea was, was that we were going to get the money that we'd get from profits uh, of our jobs and then funnel that back into like a, another feature film. And then, you know, the music videos ended up taking off and like the commercials started taking off. So I kind of delayed a little bit, but I am getting into my next one later this year, which is amazing. So it's like, you know, it, it is a long time coming from 2015. And uh, yeah, it was like a little bit of procrastination, but we're back. So that's the exciting part. And we definitely will um, get to that yeah. towards the end. I wanted to just touch on with the Visible Studios, kind of almost setting up something that establishes um, your team and yourselves to allow. I'm trying to think of the way Kevin Smith would have said it, but you know, sometimes you do things for the money. And then when you say, when you have that money accumulated, you can then do your passion projects. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, uh, plus a necessity as well. Like I was working at a warehouse, okay. um, you know, and uh, that like Woolworths distribution center. And like, whilst that was an awesome job, it was kind of like, it was what I needed to help me get the money up for the feature film. So I was working the warehouse during yes. the days and at nights occasionally and then, um, you know, working the film stuff during the day. And then after the film kind of took off, I knew that, uh, you know, there's no pun intended. There's a shelf life on me working in warehouses. I'm not, mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm of not course. very good at it. <laughs> so it's like, um, so <laughs> essentially I, um, you know, I knew that I needed to really kind of push back into the, uh, the corporate and the commercial world. And yeah, that's, uh, that was part of it, but it was also partly I wanted to get my second feature off the ground, but I just needed to find the right script to do it and script writer. So, you know, I'm not much of a yeah. writer myself. Like I, I like to come up with ideas and a path. And, but like, as far as the writing process goes, you'll hear one voice and it's all mine. So it's like, you know, every, you'll, you'll listen to like 17 characters that sound exactly like me when I'm writing it. <laughs> and while, um, you know, while I'm actually interested to know, because uh, we could talk warehousing because I've got I've got experience in that. We can leave it for another episode, Nick and Jose's warehousing <laughs> yeah, 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 adventures. Um, but so, you know, Visible Studios was started up and under the umbrella of Visible Studios, you've really been able to explore uh, your multidisciplinary skills as a creative producer, editor and co-director on TVC projects and web series like Earners and Help, yeah. which was created by Fabiana. Is it Wayner? I don't want to mispronounce Wiener. her surname. Yeah. Wiener, yeah. okay, um, which used the tragic comedy genre really pointedly to tackle the struggles with addiction and sobriety, which it also was actually awarded the Best Australian Drama at the 2020 Melbourne Webfest. So congratulations to both of you and the team on that. So I wanted to know, how did the collaboration with Fabiana come about? Yeah, that was, um, that was a strange one because I think, and again, I'm pretty sure I'm getting this right, but Carl went to high school with Fab or like at least knew each other from like school days. And they bumped into each other well after that. And uh, they kind of like got in touch and then um, they're like, hey, let's do, let's do a collaboration together. And then Carl's like, hey, I really want you to meet Nick. Uh, he's like a director, he'd be awesome on this project. And she was a little hesitant at the start um, because uh, she wanted to direct it solo. After having a chat, we kind of clicked. I, I think at the start it was a bit rocky. Um, for her because it's pretty much given up her baby and handing it over to some yes. guy she doesn't really know but um we ended up making it work and you know at that point she had written it she had rehearsed everything with each character or person cast and then I just took the reins on the day so it's like I, I directed each actor and the visuals and all that kind of stuff but she laid a lot of the groundwork in and then I came in and sort of finished it off so it worked really well like the edit was great we did a test screening, got some uh, feedback, you know, you kind of filter through some of the, uh, you know, the unnecessary negative ones. And then like you find the common ground mm -hmm. and then you, you kind of find like where the edit needs to go. And we also had help from um, Clayton Jacobson. So he came in and had yes. a look over that as well. And he was like a huge helping hand in like, upping the punch on like some of the comedy and some of the drama and all that kind of stuff, just giving like a few editing te uh, techniques and tips on how to just keep engagement up. And yeah, like, you know, it was, it was such a shock that we actually uh, won uh, Melbourne web fest and it was like, it was a really cool moment. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, commendable effort from all of you guys. And look, I wanted to also continue on through visible studios. You've expanded your prowess as a formidable music director with Australian music artists like the likes of Illy, the Amity Affliction, Hilltop Hoods, 
Masked Wolf. Uh, most recently, their tracks Razor's Edge, Bop, Gravity Gliding, and Say So. And I wanted to just uh, touch on Masked Wolf, a.k.a. Harry Michael. So this rapidly rising hip-hop musical force and a fellow Greek-Australian. Yeah. Um, who approached who for the collaboration on those? So, uh, okay, so that's like a, a big one too. So like we do a lot of Tones and I stuff and she's signed to Elektra. Um, which is Sony here, Electra overseas. Um, and uh, they also signed Harry over uh, there. So it kind of just came to a point where it's like we hit up Mandy, who runs the video production side of things at Electra, and we're like, hey, who's doing Mars Wall stuff? Because I, I was a massive fan of uh, Astronaut in the Ocean, still am. And uh, like the way I heard that was like through a cover. And then I heard his actual one and I was just like, wow, this is great. Didn't even know he was Australian. Yeah. Then uh, we got linked up with uh, Jay, his producer and uh, sorry, his manager. And then um, from there, we kind of did a pitch for uh, Gravity Gliding and that relationship just blossomed. We had a real good time on that. And then just on the final day of shooting, I made a joke, which was like, at the end of Gravity Gliding, as you're about to hit the ground, we'll cut to black. Then on the next one, we'll wake. You'll wake up and you'll still be in your prison clothes. It's like, and then Harry looks at me. And he's like, "Can we do that?" And I'm like, "Yeah, if you want." <laughs> and then from there, we've just created like this whole story arc between all the music videos. So it's been a real fun journey. He's an awesome guy. Gives me a lot of grief on set, like you know, comically, um, but he, <laughs> he just uh, he just keeps me in check. So that's the best thing about it. It's the VSCU, the Visible Studio Cinematic Universe yeah. with Masked Wolf that you guys are yeah, creating. Yeah, uh, people, I love I love the concept. People have been saying that in the YouTube comments, and I love all the uh, like all of his fans that are kind of piecing it together. Like they've created story arcs for us that we didn't think of, but we're putting them in. So it's like you know, it's we, we know, didn't know how to bridge astronaut in the ocean, and someone in the YouTube comments said hey, um, I reckon this is a dream sequence. And then he wakes up in gravity gliding. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what we wanted to do. So it's like, you know, we're just uh, taking credit for someone else's work. So thanks, YouTube guy. That, that was awesome. <laughs> and of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the global music sensations, Tones and I, with whom you've worked with some seven times now. I think it might be eight now uh, or nine oh, even. Yeah. Right. So like we've got a couple in the works that have uh, kind of finished up and they're ready to be released. So one's a live thing and the other one is, uh, which we had to remote direct in Byron Bay because she's uh, stuck there at the minute. Um, and then the other one is uh, Lonely, which we were able to sneak in between lockdowns. Now, the live um, director you're mentioning, was that the one for Jimmy Kimmel's show? Uh, so there was another one that we've done since. So it's a live one for YouTube. Right, right. You know, I can't not go back to the fact that the most successful music clip that we all know being Dance Monkey, co-directed with Liam Kelly. Yep. And I, I just wanted to highlight your partnership with Liam uh, because I know a lot of these productions we've been talking about and creative projects, he's had involvement, um, even though this interview is with yourself and visible studios i wouldn't mind highlighting that because i'd like to know how did the two of you meet and what was the catalyst that solidified this creative and collaborative partnership yeah so liam uh i, I think we just met on like a random film shoot uh he'd have a better recollection of that but um he sure. came on as an assistant i believe or maybe might have been in like an ad or a second ad from that point onwards i think he was helping tim out with some coloring stuff as well so we just kind of like we roamed around in the same circles um and then from there liam's always had like a keen path on directing and you know has always done a lot of editing stuff for us but with this project um we had never co-directed in any capacity and he had never worked under visible with um any directing credits like he had done his own stuff and they were all amazing um right, productions right. but like we had never kind of had him on and uh we were doing a yara trams commercial and i got a call from jackson um who is tones manager and this was before she was such a global um, sensation. And he's like, hey, I've got an artist, Tones and I, she's doing well on um, Spotify. Her song, Johnny Runaway, has uh, uh, done really well. And she's doing well on Triple J, Unearthed and all that kind of stuff. And hoping to get another music video off the ground. Uh, the video production team that we had kind of had to let it go. So would you guys be able to do it? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, cool. When do you need it? I was like, last week. And I'm like, Great, cool. I'm like, I'm right on this commercial at the moment. So I've got to finish this off, but let me get back to you. So through a little bit of discussion and I was kind of like going through a, a few bits and pieces at that point, I just, 
uh, like I was trying, I was struggling to kind of fit it into our schedule. And uh, I brought Liam in, um, myself and Tim brought Liam in and we're like, Hey man, do you want to just like organize a whole bunch of stuff? Can you help with the concept? And also, you know, cause tones came up with the concept of the golf course and her dancing with old people and all that kind of stuff. And she wanted to be an old right. person prosthetic makeup. Um, Cause I, I sorry to cut no, you off. Good. I really, that's the main question I had, which was who conceived the idea because it is very, uh, you know, kind of bad grandpas meets a jackass golf prank scene, yeah. which I absolutely love. That's those elements, but you know, visually it was so dissonant to the lyrics, but conceptually it paired so well in the end. Yeah. It's tone. She's, she's a genius on her own, but uh, like she, uh, she had just essentially said, I want to be on a golf course. I'm an old person. And I just want to get up to crazy stuff. And then we started coming up with like, you know, the leaf blower and all the stupid stuff that she would do, yeah. you know, um, you know, we had a friend that's like, you know, a good friend of ours, who's a hip hop artist. And he was also in earners as well, Steve um, retainer. And um, we're like, Hey man, we need, we need a douchebag kind of posh guy. And we just <laughs> want to throw like a cup at you. And then you just get checked. Yeah. And then you just chase him down. And he's like, yeah, I'll do that. So he shaved his legs and all that kind of stuff. So he really got mentally prepared for it. Had to go and borrow clothes so that he could get into character. Um, but you know, it was, um, that was all put together. So last minute, but back to what you were saying about Liam, uh, he, uh, you know, he started helping with a lot of that stuff and he had shot recently, uh, at that point in time at a golf course. And we're like, can you organize all this stuff? And I just felt so guilty, like getting him to do all this stuff and then just giving him like an associate producer credit or something like that. And I'm like, Hey man, why don't you just come with me on the day and we'll just co-direct it together. And he's like, yeah, man, I'd love that. So we did it together. Um, uh, you know, like a lot of the visuals, myself and Carl uh, sat down, came up with it. And then, uh, you know, between Liam and I just yelling out little different bits of action and all that, all that it, it became what it became, you know? And it was just like, we expected it to do well because the song was catchy. It's fun. Like she's, um, yeah. you know, she was doing quite well, but you know, we didn't expect it to go that massive, you know, like, I don't think anyone did. <laughs> so um, yeah, real huge surprise. And so glad that we ended up making it work. Cause it was like, there was a touch and go moment where it's like, are we going to be able to squeeze this in in time or not? You know, kind of thing, but it ended up going ahead. I was going to ask, was there something else fell through maybe, uh, you know, scheduling wise and we can now do the tones and I, or was it always no from the get go? It was um no, no, it was like, it was, let's let's try and make it work and tim to his credit was like pushing hard to make it work so he was the one that was like really grinding through to make it work to the point where it's like we don't know if it's going to rain it was like the middle of winter you know uh we had to do a whole bunch of sky replacement because it was so overcast so the whole clip has got a fake sky behind it um you know we like tim who went and hired the car it was a convertible that never gets hired during winter because it's always a convertible <laughs> So it's like, it's got no top. Oh, right. So he had to drive from Melbourne all the way to Ainsbury, like with the top down at like three degrees. Um, so he wore like two jackets and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, um, yeah, it was all thanks to him, like really pushing hard to get it over the line and just squeezing it in. Like, and that's why I was just like, I was so torn in between so many different projects at that point of time. Like I had those two really supporting me and I wanted to give them the credit that, that credit's due. That's beautiful. And look, as I mentioned in the beginning, the Dance Monkey music video, it currently sits at over 1.6 billion views and of the 200 or so music videos um, that are members of the elite billionaires view club back in 2018, it was about a hundred or so dance monkey ranks 51st in the quickest to reach 1 billion views, uh, taking just 329.8 days to reach that. Um, now this is according to quirb.net uh, YouTube milestones. If anyone wants to check that out, uh, it's absolutely mind blowing. And I wanted to know, Nick, do you know which song and accompanying video currently holds the number one spot for most viewed on YouTube? Is it Baby Shark? Yes, yeah, that's right. Baby Shark. It's, you know, that irritatingly infectious <laughs> song, <laughs> Baby Shark. As of July 20th, 2021, it surpassed 9 billion views. Yeah, can't even fathom I mean, that. throw me a freaking bone. And so from <laughs> terrible Dr. Evil impersonations, let's go back to what is most evident um, and I believe a respected core value of yours and by extension, 
visible studios in your creative team therein. And I'm talking about collaboration. Yeah. Because I feel this is the currency that you and your team creatively thrive on. And in turn, it's brought visible studios and many in Australian artists great success. So how do you approach a pitch for um, a video? A music video for a performer. Yeah, so it's um we do sit down and we do respect each other's kind of creative vision. So whether it's me directing solo or bringing in uh, Liam or recently Jesse, uh, we just kind of we just sort of sit around and think about it. And um uh you know myself Carl uh, we also bring Carl into the fold as well, who's our cinematographer. Um and we just we kind of just nut out the idea and we we think of concepts. We come up with like almost three different ideas for the same video and then we kind of go safe we go middle ground and then we go like really out there and then we just submit it through we kind of dress up the pitch carl and i come from a graphic design background so i mean he comes from like a graffiti background too so like between the two of us we kind of split the work when it comes to doing pitch decks and all that kind of stuff but um we've been really fortunate um as of late that we kind of what and, and what i'd love to see a change in the industry is is that like the artist is very deeply involved um, with the creative process because it is their song. They've lived it. They breathe, they're breathing Mm. it, you know? So it's like, we've been very fortunate that we don't have to pitch anymore and we just get to work with the artists. So like recently with um, Harry uh, and all the Mars Wolf stuff, we, we sat on a zoom. He was uh, in Queensland. We were here and we just kind of like broke down his songs and it's like, all right, what do we think of this? Okay, cool. This is what we want to do. What do you feel? He's like, Oh, I kind of see like a prison fight scene, you know, to be continued. It's coming out soon. Yes. And he's like, um, I, I feel like it's going to got like a prison vibe to it. And, um, and then we just workshop it. And I think, honestly, I think that's what's worked the best with like, you know, um, and I think that's what I hope to see most um, labels modeling where it's just like, get the artists to sit down with a production company that they love and you can work it out together. Cause I feel like putting it out pitch to tender and all that kind of stuff, which is what like a lot of creative agencies do and all that kind of stuff. Like as, as, as great as those things come up, I, I just feel like that connection with the artist is really important. And like, you know, for me personally, I think that that's, where it works best, where I can sit down, find out what they're feeling. And then I kind of go back and forth. And I've never had anyone, any artist ever be upset with their final product. They've always loved it, you know? And it's like, you know, I think it's because they're there from the ground up and there's no nasty surprises where I've like pulled the, well, my director's vision is going to change. And then like, I completely skew it to something else. Like you told me that you were doing a basketball thing and now it's baseball. It's like, no, no, like they're there from the beginning. And I think that that's like a really important, um, kind of collaboration tool to have in place. I'm not saying the other one's wrong, but that's my personal preference. No, no, absolutely. And I mean, look, you see it in the videos and the success of the artists, you know, on their own merit uh, through the song, of course, but then it's also amplified visually by what um, Visible Studios is creating. Yeah. And look, speaking of pitching, more specifically, film pitches. Yeah. Um, I believe there's been some exciting movement regarding an upcoming feature for yourself in Visible Studio. So I was hoping you might be able to share some more details on this topic with the listeners and myself. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I can share a little bit. Uh, if I get in trouble, okay. I, the Soviet, <laughs> I'll let you know. Um, you might have to mute some of it. But um, uh, we, we've got a, a very special film that's based on a true crime that happened here. I, I won't go in, in too much depth, but it's uh, like sure. the, the film itself is called In God's Care, but it was a, a film about uh, a woman that suffered an exorcism undeservingly. And it's, um, right. yeah, and like we, it, it's a story that stuck out to me. Like I, I love researching everything, like, you know, um, I love researching the occult and all that kind of stuff. And uh, one day I was deep diving into Google, which is a very dangerous place to get into. And then um, yes. I came across this one story that was so horrific and it stuck out to me and I just couldn't, I couldn't shake it. Yeah. So I approached my writer, uh, Alexander and uh, or Alexander Anglis Wilson. And um, he, uh, he's an incredible writer. And I, I kind of spitballed the uh, idea of what I wanted to do, and he was all for it. So uh, during our biggest lockdown um, in Melbourne, we kind of decided that that's what our focus was going to be, like creating a script that we could go out and shoot eventually. And um, he brought back this incredible first draft. And um, from there, we've just been doing a few tweaks, but we've got our shooting script. And um, yeah, like we're a couple of months away. 
So, you know, uh, bar any unforeseen incidences because we don't know anymore. Um, but like, you know, sure. at this point in time, we have the financing, which is really exciting. You know, you can always do with a little more, but like, you know, we've got, we've got the minimum that we need to kind of get it off the ground, um, which is really, really exciting. We've been shooting um, exteriors and doing our like little uh, insert shots. So we've already started that. Um, myself and Carl and um, yeah like we uh, we have some cast attached and we're just uh, starting to negotiate that from this point onwards so it's a real exciting time you're just flying through the answers without even <laughs> me being I give the questions sorry sorry <laughs> I love it yeah no 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 it's great it's a it's it's a mind meld of sorts um, then what I wanted to ask you know, without obviously giving too much away and at, at the same time I'm not trying to uh, make a comparison but to tease a bit more, have you ever seen that The Devil and Father Amorth by William Friedkin? Yes. Yeah. That doc. Okay. Brilliant. Because I mean, what you're saying, it sounds like um, it thematically could be a you know a cousin, a removed relative to a degree. I, um, I don't want to put words or change what it's meant to be, but that's what I'm envision envisioning in terms of. Um, the story, yeah, we not what's been penned, but rather what it might be based upon. Yeah, well, we we definitely throw a few curveballs in this one. Like you know, um, we do have the exorcism theme, but then you know, not not everything is not as it seems. You know, so it's uh, sure it really is a very interesting um, story to tell, and um, also the most important thing is to tell it right. Um, so like that's like yes. a little nerve wracking, but um. I'm really confident with the support that I have around me. And this goes back to the collaboration side of things. It's like between Alex, between mm -hmm. our producers in, uh, you know, in Tim and Tony, uh, Tony Coons and Lauren Simpson and Pablo uh, Zubieta. It's like, we like, we've all banded together to tell the best possible story. And um, you know, it's, it's been a year and a bit in the making of like trying to get the script in the right place, but we we're very comfortable with it now. And, I've also been illustrating alongside with um, Florence uh, some storyboards to kind of really help the feel of it. We did a test shoot and we also were able to identify, you know, things that we loved about it, things that we didn't like about the test shoot, things in the dialogue that didn't particularly work. Um, so, you know, we were really, you know, that, that test shoot was so important because it's like, I want to get the training wheels kind of going on something that's never going to be seen yeah to what and i'm sure i'll put it as like a teaser in like whatever format it might be or just upload it online sure. from where it started to what it became but it was a, a really good exercise to kind of like really figure out where where we want to go and where we want to correct certain things so yeah it's it's really exciting and two months seems like too far away and not enough at the same time so it's like you know <laughs> like course. we're itching to do it but also i'm kind of in that comfort place where it's like i'm, I'm happy to wait a little bit you know so and do you explore any uh previs while you're storyboarding or before you actually get into production itself yeah um like we do myself and carl have just been doing a lot of that in the background but um realistically uh you know we we've just been really kind of figuring out the palette and you know a lot of it is dependent on the locations that we have access to and what we're able to get. So it's like, it's constantly evolving, yes. you know? So it's like, we will start somewhere and then eventually something might kind of twist it a little bit. And it's just like, okay, cool. Now uh, let's try and pursue that direction, you know? So um, there's one thing that's for sure. We know exactly tonally what we've wanted from the beginning is still there and that's going to continue on to the end. Um, but, you know, like we're, uh, yeah, we're really excited about it, and visually, I like like I don't have I don't know how to say it more than once, and and like enough that Carl is just like he's like a visual genius, and thankfully I've got him in my corner to be able to help me uh, get that vision across because without him, I think that I'd be kind of even more nervous. But I know that he's going to be able to obtain. We've got this shorthand and it's a really beautiful relationship. Uh, there's an acting teacher in Melbourne. He runs the Melbourne Actors Lab. His name is Peter Carlos. And he described it perfectly where he's just like, you and Carl working together, it's, it's like music. You know, so he is like, he, he described us as music and we've just got this very, like this shorthand where it's like, hey man, I need to get this shot from here. He's like, yeah, I gotcha. And then like, he just does it, you know? So, um, and then sometimes he's so instinctive. He'll just change it up on the spot and i'm like 
I didn't expect that, but it's better than what I expected. So yeah, it's, it's a really good relationship. And I think that's like an important thing to um, push onto the, you know, this generation and next generation of filmmakers that are coming up. It's just like, make sure that communication is the biggest key communication and collaboration. It's there's no ego in yourself. The ego has to be in the production and the film, you know, like that, that's where the ego should be and like, leave it there kind of thing. And will this be kind of like, will you fly solo as a director for yes, this one? Yes. Or will it be a co-director? No, so I'm, I'm right, playing okay. solo on this. Um, you know, like I, I have done the occasional music video solo. I like to share the credit yes, a yes. lot with uh, my writers. It's different with Costa. That was like, uh, you know, that was him and he was sharing that with me. And I was so grateful for that. Um, but, you know, in, in a lot of the other aspects, when I go into productions, I tend to go in alone. And then I sort of just, I'm like, hey, let's just do it together kind of thing you know it's like i think that that collaboration is quite important um but you know in this with this one this is something that i wanted to do for quite a while and i've been living it for a while but i i'm still bringing the same team liam's still coming in you know in some creative aspect whether it be editor whether it be ad like you know we're still trying to figure out like people's availabilities and all that kind of stuff but liam will be there jesse will be there tim will be there like everyone's going to be there in some capacity it's it's brilliant, man. And look, six years on from Plague, you've come back full circle to create and direct this follow-up feature. And, you know, no path to achieving goals is without a struggle and learnings. Uh, look, and I'm sure that while, you, while there were plenty of learning moments throughout the production of Plague, I'm just curious, is there some technique or element that you took away from that experience, which you perhaps still incorporate to this day in your approach when dealing with actors or performers? with plague we were very fortunate like we kind of like you know we kind of went in a little blind but um we were able to like i think we just learned on the fly a lot of the most important things like you know the collaboration the team effort you know making sure that we respected one another i learned a lot from costa and his direct like directing of actors um as well yes. as all the other teachers that i've had you know along the way like between acting teachers like peter carlos and you know every other director that i've seen on that path but i think i think the ego thing is like a big one i think i had like a little bit too much of an ego on plague where i was just not willing to listen at some points and then that stalled the production where it's like we could have shot things multiple ways you know and it, and it would have been fine instead of you know debating it for like five to 10 minutes and it's like, well, we've captured nothing. And, and that was probably more on me. Um, but, you know, I think that's like a, a really important thing that I learned early on, which is just like, you know, just the respect of li listening and, and learning from other people and also understanding different departments. So uh, yeah. on Plague, I, I knew a fair bit, obviously doing, you know, my own productions in music videos, but there was a lot more to learn. You know, there was a lot more to learn in like, what a gaffer does and you know and and understanding every role on set so i don't have these unrealistic expectations so since then the beauty of doing all the visible stuff and getting on all these other different productions was that i could pretty much see how people worked and i'd, I'd watch them from behind the scenes i'd i'd understand how long things take and as a director i don't have these unrealistic expectations anymore like i kind of understand how long a lighting setup may take i might i'll understand that shooting one way and then flipping the camera isn't always the way to you, you can't just do that and it's like oh cool it's a five minute reset no you've got to reset all the lighting so it's like it's things that i had mm -hmm. learned on that set that helped me improve as a filmmaker in general and then as a director i think i've been honing that craft of learning how to direct actors because before that I think it was just like, yeah, 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 actors will do their actor thing, you know, kind of thing. And I'll just focus on the visuals. Um, and I think that whilst that is partly true where actors know, like, it, I think I'll probably butcher this quote, but it's, um, uh, it may have been Marlon Brando or someone like the director came up to him and started telling him, he was like, hey, I only need to worry about one character. You need to worry about 20. So let me do what I need to do. So I think that's also another important thing that I learned, which is, um, you know, let the actor kind of grow and do their thing, you know, um, and let them kind yeah. of introduce their flavor into what they've been studying and researching this whole time. So instead of me just coming in with an iron fist and saying, you have to do it like this and doing like a line read kind of thing, I've never been that bad, but I'll just be like, hey, can you just do it like this? And, you know, uh, like, I, I think that sometimes I can over explain 
and that was me in the past. Now I think I've found that perfect middle ground of how to understand what they want and what they can do and, you know, like trusting that they've got it. Like, I mean, that's the reason why they've got the role in the first place. Yeah, it's a trust in the process for any uh, Philadelphia 76 fans. Totally, totally. Um, <laughs> Look, to round off the discussion, thank you again for your patience and for indulging me with these questions, Nick. No, it's been a pleasure. This is fun. Given how mercurial our lives have become due to the unprecedented changes of COVID, you know, and I, I couldn't get away without, without not at least touching on the topic, but especially also because, you know, we're heading into the week that um, brings awareness to suicide um, prevention. And I wanted to look at, look, you know, with COVID and the anxiety that comes with these uncertainties and forced lockdowns, if I could ask what helps keep you grounded to be able to trust in the decisions that you make creatively and centered emotionally when things around you get a bit chaotic? It's, um, it's a difficult one. I, um, I've just kept communication up. Like, I think that's important knowing that I'm surrounded by like lovely people. Uh, I have kept busy. Um, I hope I'm answering this right and not trivializing the question, but like, um, you know, we've been, I've been kind of one of the very few that's been fortunate to continually be working. So it's like, we've had exemptions. We've, you know, if we're not shooting and we've been in lockdown, I've been in pre or post-production and all that kind of stuff. But when things do become a little overwhelming, um, it's always good to just kind of have like a little bit of alone time, play a little bit of PlayStation, Mortal Kombat's there. You know, that's like mm-hmm. a nice little bit of distraction. But I have been in touch with like fellow crew members who have become family and friends really. And just, um, you know, making sure that we're all okay. And, you know, making sure that if there is anything that's kind of like any doubt or any negativity that's sort of creeping into kind of just, you know, surround, surround each other with that comfort. You know, uh, socials, whilst they can be bad, they can also be good at times, you know, like seeing that other people are struggling and aren't, you know, it makes you realize that you're not alone. So, but, you know, I just, I, the one thing that I did was I just try to make myself, uh, I try to keep busy, you know? So it was like, whenever I was feeling like I was kind of hitting a slump or that potentially there was no work on the horizon, I just went back into a creative shell and I just started developing things that might in, you know, it might never come uh, or they might come to fruition, you know? So, and one of them did, which was in God's care, which was, that's how we kind of dealt with some of the uh, real severe downtime. You know, it's like we, we sat down myself and Alex and um, we just said, let's do this. And if it happens, it happens and it's happened. So that was the best thing that came out of it. Thank you for being so candid. Oh, it's awesome. um, I think it's important for, you know, cause at the end of the day, we're all just humans and we're trying to, get on with our lives the best we can. And sometimes all we can do is, you know, hope for kindness in certain moments when we're really struggling. Now, not to trivialize, and I just wanted to jump off topic completely. Um, are you a Futurama fan? Love. Oh, if only I could show you my wall. I actually have a, uh, uh, I have an <laughs> A1 poster, Futurama first episode, uh, the 3001 signed by Billy West. Oh, yeah. okay. I'm jealous, but yeah. I'd love to see it. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'd take a photo. i a screenshot. But what I wanted to ask is, let's just assume that, uh, you know, Visible Studios, and you can decide who, who would you assign as this, the characters from Futurama? So who'd be your Zoidberg? Who'd be your Hermes? Who'd be your Professor? Uh, Leela? Amy? I'd probably go myself as Hermes, as well as a bit of Fry, because I'm a bit of an idiot. Um, and then... Um, <laughs> Leela could possibly or most definitely go to Madeline uh, French. She's uh, She's got that iron fist kind of thing about her and she's probably the most switched on out of all of us. And then uh, uh, Zoidberg uh, and Tim is very intelligent. So you give him Farnsworth, but he doesn't sleep. So sometimes he... Uh, he kind of like forgets. So like, I reckon Farnsworth <laughs> is a good one for him. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, everyone else is just so, such a good person. I, I don't know if I could put them in anything, like really. Like you, you could probably put uh, Liam as Kip because he deals with a lot of our grief. So, <laughs> you know, like. That's- and I mean, you, do you want, but would you want to actually be called out by Nick to say, he said I was Zap Brannigan? Oh, I am. Um, <laughs> I could, you I could probably be Zap Brannigan because I'm an idiot, but not not the sexually harassing type of Zap Brannigan. So, um, yeah, just because of the love of the velour. Yeah, yeah, because I love velour so much, you know, and because I because I send wave after wave of men to like kill these robots until their kill count is gone. But you know what? It's funny you mentioned Futurama because without Futurama, there's no visible. 
um, because uh, I did a short film, which was a proof of concept actually with uh, Phil Klimek. And um, that's the first day I met Tim. And Tim in his weirdness went off set and started quoting Futurama. And then we became best friends because of that. Like we ended up like clicking because of Futurama specifically. And then a, a company's born from that. So it's like, it's pretty crazy. Without that, there's nothing. So I love it. The origin story right yeah. there. Yeah, I'm helping. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Terrible story, but, but, um, um, I, will, I will add one more thing as well. Um, back to like the whole please. COVID thing. And um, the one other thing that I did really like doing was reaching out to other filmmakers and when they were reaching out to me. And I encourage it as well. I mean, you're not always going to get a, uh, a response, but I've been fortunate enough to be able to respond to people. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough to have people reach out to me. But one good thing that I love doing was helping. And it's like helping emerging filmmakers and people that are probably way more talented than me, but like asking for advice or just like general conversation. It was really good to open up to new people. And, um, you know, they, they would kind of hit me up about filmmaking questions you know how i did certain things in music videos how like you know how we did plague all that kind of stuff and i really encourage a lot of people that are starting out or you know even just people that want to connect to do that you know it's like i, I think that's what you did with me and uh you know like without that we don't have this i was gonna say i i do appreciate that um you took the time not only to respond but to agree to this uh, so thank you so much, Nick, for your time and for speaking so candidly this evening. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate. In the show notes, I'm going to leave links to um, all of your socials. But if people do want to get in touch with you to discuss passion projects or, you know, Futurama, um, <laughs> what's the best email that they can get in touch with you? So uh, Nick at visiblestudios.com.au is the best one. But I'm also kind of bad with my emails, which is unfortunate for Tim, who has to keep chasing things up. But um, definitely <laughs> socials. I'm really good with Instagram because I'm generally always on it. So um, Insta is like a really good one. So if they want to hit me up and send me a DM, I'm always up for a chat. You know, I'm always like, as soon as I have the time or downtime during set or whatever, I kind of just flick it on and smash a message back. So it's always fun to kind of connect with new people and network. Thank you very much, mate. Look, for myself and any listeners of this podcast, keep lighting up the billboards with your music clips and look forward to seeing your newest upcoming feature when it hits the cinemas. Um, thank you again. And to everyone else, remember, be kind to each other. And until next time, ciao. Thanks for listening to Diary of a Crowdfunded Film. Subscribe to hear all future episodes. And if you enjoyed the show, leave us a review. For more info, please visit Diary of a Crowdfunded Film on Facebook.